0: Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen, amen. Uh, we love you, Renovate, we missed you. Um, man, I hope, uh, I hope that we sing this song about his grace and our chains being gone from us and that we believe that. That's been our hope and our prayer for you guys even through this break uh, and for our own souls. Uh, hey, we are gonna be in the book of Matthew tonight. Uh, the book of Matthew, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, head there. We're also gonna put the verses up on the screen if that's easier for you. Uh, when I was a young lad, I traveled a ton. I got to travel a lot, and would and would move around. Uh, and I spent uh, I spent about a semester abroad. And when I came back uh, to the states. I really wanted to see my buddies. And so this was, you know, I was 19 or 20 years old, and I really wanted to see my friends. And so I had called them up, and two of my best friends in the world, Adam and Brian, and I was like, man, let's hang out. And they're like, yeah, we want to see you. We want to catch up. Man, we miss you. It's been like six months. I was like, yeah, let's hang out. And they're like, ah, the problem is we got girlfriends. And like, our girlfriends want to hang out with us, and I didn't have a girlfriend. So I was like, ah, oh, okay. Well, and they're like, no, no, we want to see you. It's been a while. We'll figure something out. So sure enough, they figure some stuff out, and then they call me later, and they're like, we're doing it, man. We're getting a big group together, and we're all going to hang out we'll pick you up. So they picked me up and they dragged their girlfriends with them. And then we picked up this other girl, Cheryl, and she wasn't super tight in our friend group, but that's cool. She was fun gal. And so we all get together and we go eat Tex-Mex and we're eating food and having a good time. And then we're like, let's go back to Adam's house and play pool. So we go back after dinner and play pool. And then Adam, cause he's got a movie room next to his game room, cause his life is hard. <clears throat> so we were like, man, yeah, let's watch a movie. And so they put on a movie and Started watching a movie. It was a, a movie I remember vividly. Um, the movie was Cats and Dogs. Uh, it's a really stupid movie. Um, it's a movie about talking dogs. It's kind of like Saving Private Ryan, but with talking cats and dogs and not World War II and dumb. And so that's basically what it was. And so we we're watching dogs and cats and, and the good dogs battling the evil cats. And, <clears throat> and then I look over and my buddy, you know, we'd, had a, we'd already had a long evening, but my buddy Adam was on the couch and he was asleep. And then his girlfriend was next to him on the couch and she was asleep and looked over on the love seat. And Brian, you know, was asleep, lazy. And then his girlfriend was asleep <clears throat> and I was watching the movie and then I felt it. Cheryl was next to me. I could feel her staring at me. I could feel it. Like it was, I was watching the movie and I was like, oh, don't take your eyes off the movie. But I could feel, she was like, Probably 15 to 15 and a half inches from my face, just, just looking right at me. And that's when I realized, guys, I was on a date. <laughs> I was not aware that I was on a date up to that point. Uh, the previous four hours I had been on a date, but I was the only person unaware. And as I realized, okay, my buddy over there and his girlfriend, and oh, this is a date with Cheryl. Cheryl knew it was a date, but nobody told Ben it was a date. So there I was, Cheryl, 15 and a half inches from my face. I'm watching Cats and Dogs, horrible movie, but I'm pretending I'm really engaged. Cause if I turn that 15 and a half is gonna get cut by like three or four inches and we're gonna be so close. And you know what happens, babies. So <laughs> I, just, I just stayed glued, stayed glued to Cats and Dogs. And I did what any coward would do as a 19, 20 year old coward. I quickly pretended to also fall asleep. And then I spent the last hour, which by the way, Cats and Dogs sucks as a movie. It sucks even more if you can't even see it. If you're only listening to it, it's even worse because you can't see the animated dogs moving their mouth. So... So I pretended to fall asleep and then we all like woke up at the end of the movie and oh yeah, okay, we should probably get people home. Uh, It was awful. This story doesn't have a, I mean, it has a good ending. Cheryl got married later and has kids and she's fine. The point was, uh, which I feel bad that it took me like four hours to realize we were on a triple date. And they had told her, that's how horrible my friends are. They're like, hey, Ben wants to go on a date with you. It'll be a triple date. We'll all do it. That was the only way they could get their girlfriends to hang out. Horrible people, um, but that—that's what it was. <clears throat> when you when you realize that, here's the sad thing. I know that some version of that has happened to people in this room, right? You hung out with somebody, and then about halfway through the night, hopefully not four hours. Hopefully you're not as as obtuse and dense as me, but h- hopefully at some point you realize, oh my goodness, this is a date? Really poor leadership, bro. Really lack of clarity here. Um, but when that happens, it is the most awkward horrifying thing right when that happens and it's awful because you realize really I just thought I was having a good time with my friends who cared about me but you realized everything up to that point was just a lie from hell right the Tex-Mex the pool game it was all a lie it was all a sham and so it totally shades your perspective of what you see now what's about to happen really in this series of Sermon on the Mount is this idea of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is going to let us know what his game plan is he is going to sit down with his people and have a DTR and explain, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. He's going to unpack all of that. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters in the book of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven. And it's a sermon that Jesus preaches. And I don't think I'm allowed to have a favorite chapter or verses, but if I was, I think the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, five, six, and seven in Matthew, are probably some of the most significant passages in our faith Uh, as believers. And so that's why we're spending uh, this entire semester just in his sermon and unpacking the context of who he is and what he's having us do and what this whole thing is that he's signed up in. And like Josh said in the intro, man, there is a right way to follow him and a wrong way to follow him. And he's giving that correction. And that's really where we're going. And so tonight, uh, tonight I just want to uh, I just wanna set the hook on, on the context of his sermon. And so tonight we'll spend most of our time in chapter four because next week in your Renovate groups, you will open up chapter five, verse one and dig into the, the first 12 verses uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. And so tonight what's gonna happen is I'm gonna hopefully uh, shed some clarity and context uh, for the sermon he's about to preach, Jesus is about to preach. And then I'm gonna look at the dangers if we are getting it wrong and looking at where that comes from and seeing in Scripture, man, how we can get it wrong and how we can kind of be going along and totally unaware of what's actually happening and being dragged along and and the dangers of that. And then I'm going to get uh, real personal and get in your face on some stuff and and hopefully uh, God does what he wants to do with it. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 uh, through 16. Uh, This is right after Jesus had... um, had been baptized. And so we've got the genealogy of Christ. He's born, um, he's grown up, and now he has gone and been baptized by John the Baptist, come out of the water. And this is really the beginning of his ministry. And so so this, I, I just want us to set up before we even get to the Sermon on the Mount next week. Here we go. Now, when he, meaning Jesus, when he heard that John had been arrested, He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then this is a part of the prophecy in Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light had dawned. Here's what, one thing I want to do real quick uh, for you, because I want you to see the context of how sweet this is, because Matthew is referencing a prophecy being fulfilled in Isaiah chapter nine. And you don't have to flip there, but I'm going to read to you what is a couple of verses later that... All of the Jewish people who would have understood where Jesus was starting his ministry, what he did, where he was, he went back to Galilee and and where he was in that area, they would have remembered the prophecy. Like they would have grown up reading this. They would have seen Jesus through the context of Isaiah 9. And and Isaiah 9, Matthew quotes, but look what else it says that they would have been thinking about. In that same passage, this fulfillment of prophecy, verses 6, it says this. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And listen to to this language. And the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so what they would have seen is they would have remembered that language. They would have seen Jesus begin his ministry, usher in his ministry, get baptized and say, okay, I'm gonna start my... And the geography would have brought them back to this idea of, wait a second, our Messiah who's gonna come and establish this unending government sitting on the throne of David, maybe maybe that's what Jesus came to do. And so Matthew then goes on to tell us with Jesus' words exactly what Jesus came to do. What Jesus came to do we see in verse 17 as he begins preaching his first sermon and and his first message to his people. He says in verse 17, chapter four, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, and here was his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Jesus come to do? If we're gonna understand the context of the next five chapters that we're gonna spend the next 19 weeks in, we've gotta understand what did he come to do? He came to bring about his kingdom. That's why Jesus came. He came to bring about his kingdom. He did not come to start a religious club that we could all be a part of. He did not come so that we would accept him into his heart. Jesus' message was never, I've never found his message where he said, hey, I'm here so that you can accept me into your heart. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, and I don't know where we get that. He, he didn't come to establish a, a moralism where, where we try to balance the scales in favor of doing more good than more bad. He came to establish a king A kingdom and to rule and to reign in his kingdom. And he asks for our allegiance. That's what he does. That's what he does all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Is say, I have a kingdom. And he is saying, will you pledge your allegiance to the kingdom that I am building? So for the next 19 weeks, that's what we study when we study the Sermon on the Mount. We'll see a shadow of it tonight. And we'll have some application tonight of how we walk out of here with our hope in the right place. But what happens over the next 19 weeks in our hope and our prayer as you dig deep in these three chapters is that we will figure out what it looks like exactly to have our allegiance aligned with the correct king. Let me tell you, let me tell you a little bit more of the story. And I'm just going to walk us all the way right up to chapter 5 because I, I think it's incredible and I think it's, an, it's so timely even for our culture what he does here. Look at verse 18 with me, and we'll throw it up on the screen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. These men come across Jesus. Jesus tells them, come and follow me. And they like that drop their nets and say, I'm gonna follow him. There was an immediate hope and faith that these men had to say, this is the one I'm gonna put my hope in. And they left behind their life and followed him. Look look what continues to happen on a bigger scale. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics and healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus is gathering followers, right? He he is gathering these followers. He is gathering uh, this, this movement. And all of these people who would have started to come and follow him, everybody following him, they would have had a reason for why they were following him. Right? They would have had a reason for, okay, I'm following this person because I'm sick and I need healing. I'm following this person because I'm so curious what they're going to do. And they all had a reason of why they were following uh, him. And, and whether or not that reason was correct, whether or not it was aligned and their allegiance was in the right place, uh, was yet to be determined um, and yet to be tested. And, and I, I want us just to read the very first two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what happens in chapter five. He's gathered, he's gathered these disciples individually who just have this faith to jump out of the boats and fall. He's gathered these crowds and multitudes. And, and then he does this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, from here we have the Sermon on the Mount. He gathered the crowds. He declared, this is about my kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he began to teach them. What's happening on the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus Christ is giving his inaugural address. That's what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the inaugural address is something that is very common to us if we've been paying attention in the last uh, seven days. Right? A, a president gives an inaugural address Um, And when they do, they get up and they say, here's who I am, here's what I'm for, here's what I'm about, here's who we are as a people, here's what we believe in, here's where we're going. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It is our Savior, it is Jesus Christ giving his inaugural address to his people. Here's who he is, here's where he's going, here's who we are, here's how to follow. That's where he's going, but there's a danger in missing it, right? There's a danger in missing it. Generation after generation misses it. There's a danger of missing where he's taking us and who he is on a daily basis in my life. I'm so quick to forget. There is a, a danger theologically and culturally where we miss it. Let me show you one of the things that happened even just through Christ and his closest disciples. In Matthew 22, in Matthew 22, it says this in verse 15. It's the story of Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. It's gonna kinda of give us a glimpse of some, some misinterpretations of what Jesus was about. <clears throat> in verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees, they went and plotted how to entangle him, Jesus, in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, so they're buttering up and they're being real sweet. Tell us then, uh, what you think, it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the taxes. And they brought him the denarius. So here's what's happening. They're like, we're going to get him. We're going to trick him. Uh, we don't like Jesus. They're the religious rulers. Jesus threatens the kingdom that they've been building in their religion and right? in, in their religion, they'd been building this religious kingdom, and, and now here Jesus is preaching this, this alternative kingdom that, that they don't know how it fits yet, and they don't understand. And so like, we're going to trap them, let's ask him. "Hey, uh, should we pay taxes or not?" And here's why that was a big deal. A um, uh, couple of generations before Jesus, uh, there was this massive revolt. Right? There was this massive revolt of Jewish people who had said, "We don't like Rome." And we're tired of being held captive by Rome. We're tired of being occupied by Rome. And so there was this big rebellion of people who were just upset and ticked. And they said, not only are we not paying taxes, we're gonna go hold up at a fort and we're gonna try to kick you guys out. And we're we're gonna try to overturn and kick Rome out of our land and get you out of here. And it was this huge thing. And it was this rebellion that was squashed and squashed violently. And so they know, right? A lot of Jewish people, They did not like Rome. Rome was not popular. And so they're trying to pin Jesus. Okay, are you gonna be anti-Rome or are you gonna be pro-Rome? Because if you're anti-Rome, there's gonna be a lot of people who are really frustrated because they hate the Roman government and they want no Roman government. They want the Roman government out of their lives. And so if you say that you're pro and we should start giving our taxes, then that kind of feels like you're a traitor, Jesus. But if you say you're anti-Rome, well then, I mean, that's treason. Right then Rome's gonna get ticked if they find this guy out there and, and we can trap him either way, either by the Jewish people who will be upset that he's, that he's pro-Roman government or, or by the Romans who would think he's, he's trying to create a political rebellion. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this on, on the coin that they handed him? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God." When they heard it, they marveled and they left and they went away. Mic drop for Jesus moment, right? Just mic drops them, tricks them. Ah, man, we thought we had them and we didn't because what's happening? Because Jesus is saying, I'm not here for this political kingdom that you are stuck on. The the temporary blinders that you first century Jews are stuck on and first century Romans are stuck on, I have a much, much bigger picture. So fine, Caesar's head is on the coin, then give it to Caesar, right? But what is God's, give it to God's. And what has God's image on it, that should pledge allegiance to God. And it's this great way that he, that he navigates that. Um, it's, it's beautiful, right? He, he's not political. He's not political. Um, and first century, uh, that would have been an incredibly uh, tight trap. But then look what happens, Right? I get it. It makes sense that they would have thought that, right? Even when you think of Isaiah 9 and the prophecy, and, wait, this guy's going to set up this government and sit on the throne of David and all these things. It would make sense that that happens. Fast forward. Fast forward. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he gets arrested. He's there with his disciples. He gets arrested. They show up to arrest him. Jesus, all knowing, knows it's going to happen. And what happens? John chapter 18, 10 and 11. Here's what happens. As they're arresting Jesus, some of you might remember this story. Simon Peter, having a sword, which, hold on, what are you doing with a sword, man? Why, anybody have a sword in here? What are you doing with a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane? So there's something clearly that, that Peter's prepared for something that Jesus isn't ushering in. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, which that's a bummer of a name, let's be honest. That's a bummer of a name and now he's only got one ear. He was already bullied for the name Malchus. Now he's gonna be bullied for having one-eared Malchus. Regardless, this is what happens. Jesus says to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. And he says, shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? And he, and he ends up healing this servant's ear. So Jesus is Closest disciple, right? Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, at the at the after three years of following him, after three years of watching him preach the kingdom, still doesn't understand what's happening. He's got a sword with him when they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And as they arrest Jesus, Peter thinks, Here we go. This this is the time. This is the time for political violence. This is the time where we're not gonna let them take our savior, pulls out a sword. And chops off a guy's ear. See what happens. When we get it wrong. See what happens when we get it. When our, when our kingdom alignment. Gets out of whack. This would, this would never happen current day. Right? Like, no way. Would we. Put our hope so much. In a political leader. And if we lose him. Man we. We gotta take it by force. We gotta smash through doors. We gotta smash through windows. We gotta take our Jesus flag and our American flag and our Confederate flag and whatever flags we got, our Bucky's flag, and we gotta get in there because this is it. It reveals that, that, man, we've got our hope in the wrong thing, right? We got our hope in the wrong thing. What happened on the Capitol a couple of weeks ago, man, we saw it and we grieved. And we saw men and women who who were fighting for what they thought was their kingdom slipping through their hands. And this was their hope. And if we don't take it back now, our hope is gonna be lost. And so there was a kingdom alignment out of whack. And what happened in the Capitol, I don't think was a a political thing. I think it was a spiritual thing. I mean, I don't think they knew it, but I think it was a spiritual thing. I think it revealed where our hope is. And man, we we've spent, some of us spent four years putting our hope in something to be a savior that it was never designed to be. And spent a lot of time and a lot of energy making excuses for, compromising, maybe character, because we're putting our hope in some policies that we think are going to usher in a kingdom that Jesus says that's my kingdom to usher. I'm the savior that's gonna usher in that kingdom. But generation after generation after generation has found ourselves putting our hope in a kingdom to say, but wait, this is it. And we'll, we'll look the other way here and okay, it doesn't quite look like Jesus and let's compromise here because maybe some of these things are going to push towards the kingdom that we want. And there's a difference between being an advocate and being intelligent and being thoughtful and being political. And a difference between where we find our hope and what allegiance we align with. And just to be fair, um, let's, let's, look at, let's look at Biden's administration. And we now have a president, whether you like it or not, or voted for him, we have a president who, who has run on this campaign of, I'm going to be the guy who restores from the bad guy. I'm going to be the guy who brings back the dignity and the healing that's needed I mean, just about every political campaign. I mean, Trump did it. Obviously, Biden did it. Obama's whole thing was hope. That was his whole thing. Hope. We do it all the time, and we're prone to it, and we we wander over, and we think, well, this guy, man, he's he's gonna be the answer. Am I making an argument? Let me just say, I am not making an argument for us as believers to stop engaging in politics, to just say, well... It's Jesus' kingdom, so I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to care. I'm going to be cynical about it. No, if anything, I think the opposite. I think Christians should be more thoughtfully engaged in politics. I think we should vote and step forward. I think we are going to have to make compromises, whether with policy or character or personality. or Those things are going to happen. We're going to have to make decisions because of, the, because of the very temporal, very imperfect worldly kingdom we live in. So we want to be good citizens of that kingdom. But as believers, we have a deeper allegiance. And so as we do that thoughtfully, really thoughtfully, we engage in politics maybe more and not just reactionary and not just based on our fear, but we engage as believers who have our hope in a kingdom and the witness that that is to the world around us, but also can engage in a way that brings glory to God, but also, yes, advocates and fights for what we might feel like pushes forward the best protection or policy or person that that those convictions lead to. Man, when we get it wrong though, our witness goes out the door to the world around us. Man, when we get it wrong, and that's such a hard thing because I think it's easy to be overjoyed. It's easy to find one picture of a Jesus flag and a crowd of angry people and a witness for a lost people to think there it is they were worshiping the wrong savior. It's, it's dangerous. It's important. Sermon on the Mount's gonna talk a lot about how important our witness is and that as citizens of the kingdom, we are on display. We are light. We are salt. We are on display for the world to see us. And that is a really important but really fine line to walk. But he gives us how to walk that in this sermon. He gives it. Um, now, I I should say this too. I know people who are left who love Jesus politically. They're left and they love Jesus. And I know people who are right and far right and they love Jesus, but they also can point to where their hope is. And and we're revealed, aren't we? We're revealed of where we've put our hope by how we react, how we respond, how we engage and how we fight. Here's the deal. You, if you are pledging allegiance to the wrong kingdom, you will be disappointed. Jesus gives us that promise. You will be left wanting. If you end up finding yourself pledging your allegiance, putting your hope in a false kingdom, you will be left uh, wanting. This is Christ's kingdom that he's bringing out. Don't miss it. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It is his address, his inaugural address to say, here we go. This is what it looks like. It's how to be a citizen, how to gain citizenship. For 19 weeks, we'll spend time on what it looks like to be a citizen, what it looks like to have a kingdom ethic that Christ had built, what it looks like to have the warnings of Jesus, of how you fall out of that or how you get tricked and duped and how you build your foundation correctly. That's what he does for the next three chapters. Is what we're going to spend the next 19 weeks digging deep. God, help us be believers who engage in the world around us in thoughtful ways and don't put our head in the sand, but also that we find our hope in the right place and that's you. It would be proper citizens of it. So um, I have a few questions I'm gonna end on for you guys. Where is your hope? Right, where is your hope? Uh, the the political thing that's happened in our country is, is low-hanging fruit. And we, we see that and we, we realize that. And I think I can check my heart and we can all look at that. But I think there's way more application to this, to this call of Christ's kingdom than just how I engage in that sphere of the world. So I'd ask you, where do you find your hope? Is it, um, is it in a job that you have? Is it in the possibility of a job? Is it in the next step that you're looking for? Is it in that status of, man, if I could only get this. And when you ask yourself, and I want you tonight, as we go back into worship here in just a little bit, to ask yourself, Lord, would you reveal, if you took this away, would I crumble? Would I react in such an ungodly way? Would I fall apart? Have I put my hope in a career? Have I put my hope in an amount of money to make? Or a status that I'm waiting to get? Have Have I put my hope in a, in the approval of other people. And man, approval is so sneaky because I think, no, nah, no, I don't. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I kind of don't get invited to something or I kind of get left out of something. And then all of a sudden, I think, oh, no, that hurts way disproportionately than it feels like it should. And I realize, man, I've got part of my hope in, in wanting these people to approve of me. Maybe we find our hope. Honestly, maybe we find our hope in substances. Right? <laughs> I need this to take away what is hurting. I I drink this. I look at this on my computer because I know there can be immediate gratification if I go down those roads of lust. And Maybe it's that. Maybe it's pornography in your life that in some ways you have said, man, my hope is in that. That's what I go to to relieve what burdens me. That's, That's the government that I submit to to say help me. And it's these things that we know leave us empty and we know leave us wrecked. And they can be unhealthy, but man, the, the sneaky thing about, about this idolatry in our heart is um, they can be the healthiest things in the world, but we still, they're still not designed to be our kingdom. And maybe it's relationships, right? Maybe it's relationships and that, that one relationship has to work or that elusive relationship I'm waiting for. And we constantly surrender, but it's also constantly nagging at us. Constantly nagging at us because if, if only I could and if only we could and if only this would happen and we find our hope there we serve a God who has shown up and entered into our broken world and all of our broken temporary systems and loved us where we are And we in Christ, and what we'll see in the Sermon on the Mount is that we have a king who sits on the throne. And it is a kingdom unlike any other kingdom. And it is not a political kingdom, although I believe one day it will be a political kingdom that he will usher in. But he sits on that throne. But here's the other thing, and here's the beautiful thing. We have a king who then from his kingdom became a sacrificial lamb for us. For his people, that king that we have, that we know is worthy, became a sacrificial lamb and hung on a cross and died so that we might enter into citizenship with him. That's what we have, right? For you, Not only is he worthy. If you hear anything I say, I hope that you hear what I'm about to say and I hope it continues to ring in your ears all night and I hope it continues to ring in your ears every day constantly. We have a king who is worthy and not just worthy, we have a king who is good. And we have a king who is good and not just a king who is good, we have a king who is gracious. He became the lamb of God so that we might be able to approach him not because we earned it. And so what that means is for you, sitting here, watching this sermon, it means no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how many other kingdoms you have found your allegiance in, no matter how many other things you've put your hope in, it means that we have a God who says, I still love you. And as a king, because of the Lamb of God, you can still approach me. You can still be with me where you were designed to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lamb of God was that powerful? No matter how far you've wandered, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, you have a king who's gracious and says, come. That is the king we worship. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how you have loved us, Father. You are worthy and you are good and, And you are are reigning, God. You are in control. And God, if we're honest with ourselves tonight, Father, um, we know there's conviction in our heart. We know there's other things that we have certainly put our hope in, whether they are little or whether they are huge. Would you, in your kindness, be the kind of Father that reveals those to us? And then would we be able to acknowledge that, yes, you've purchased those? And would we run back to pledge our allegiance to you. You are our King. Would you do the work that only you can do in our hearts for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.